Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode of CanadaLand is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. There is an incredible facility right here in downtown Toronto that is helping on the front lines and is doing incredible innovative research. They are a facility that treats everybody with dignity and they need your help. May 6th to 12th is Mental Health Week. If this matters to you, help CAMH. There's no better place for your resources. Go to camh.ca slash CanadaLand and donate now. Help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Fatima Syed, freelance reporter, vice president of the Canadian Association of Journalists and Shortcuts guest who hasn't been here in a while. Welcome back. It's great to be back. Hello, Candelan. Today, Fatima, we're going to talk about how a working class hero is something to be BQ. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we're going to smoke this Adam Skelly guy. Again, very sorry. <laughs> in another life, I was a writer for Mad Magazine. I hate being here already. <laughs> <laughs> Also, Fatima, listen up, ladies. Talk radio is a rough and tumble business. It is a world of rugged opinion and absorbing a daily horror show of death and rape threats against yourself and your children. That's just the cost of doing business. So toughen up. That's the cost of doing business for, for some. Not people like me, but for, for some people. Glad to have you here. Uh, I'm excited to dig into these very hot topics. Was that another food pun? I'm doing the food puns here. <laughs> I was trying. I appreciate the effort. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Lisa volans Leduc, Vanessa Dow, Aaron Audley, Brian Cody, Jessica Endress, Matthew Reed, Jonathan Salamati, and Ted. I'm Ted from Toronto, and I support Canada Land because I couldn't sit through Jesse reading another commercial. Fatima, have you been following 
the saga of Adamson Barbecue? Sadly, yes. It's been no escaping it, really. I've held off a little bit, and I think I'm ready to dig in. I think I am, but I want to give proper context here. I want to look at this through the prism of food and of barbecue. Will Will you allow this in your in your return to shortcuts? Can I do this for a moment? We set up a foodie podcast. Let's do it. Okay. I looked back to the first review uh, from Toronto Life of Adamson's Barbecue when it opened up. It's referred to as real Texas barbecue. The brisket's done in the traditional Central Texas style. It's a true Texas-style smokehouse. Adamson Barbecue claims it's the only joint in town that stays true to the Lone Star style. What jumps out at me there is this is this focus, almost a, f- a fetishization of realness and authenticity in how they were presenting this place. This idea that like he's doing it the real way is really important and part of his marketing and part of how he was received and I think successful. That is a conceit that extends to this guy's presentation of himself. I've been to Adamson Barbecue and it's like he's got the big Texas Lone Star flag up there. And I've actually, you know, uh, if I can brag for a second, Fatima, I've, I've had real Texas barbecue, just so you know. <laughs> and uh, th- th- this guy, like he's, he's tried to recreate the whole vibe, right? He's bought the authentic smoker, the way that the whole, di- like it's like picnic tables in this dining room. There's no table service. There's no booze. You know, you go to the counter the plates are supposed to look the same. You know, you eat off of like, you know, wax paper, craft paper, like they tie up the meat. It's like an experience as if you're in Texas, right? And this guy, Adam Skelly himself is like, he's got this scraggly beard and he wears the baseball cap backwards and he wears like a flannel jacket. And he's like, I'm a real barbecue pit master, dude. There's something that's different between Adamson barbecue and real Texas barbecue. And the first thing is the price. It's a buzzy Toronto place. I stood in line with people who wanted that real authentic experience when I went and ate there and I bought a sandwich and I got like a soda and I, you know, left a dollar tip at the counter and with taxes and it was a $20 experience for a sandwich. In Texas, it's like six bucks. Adam Skelly set up his restaurant in this like parking lot in Leaside because his dad owned that lot. His dad financed his his first two locations. He grew up in Leaside, which is one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in Canada. And hey, more power to him. Great. He's playing the game. I think that his performance of a lunchbox Joe Canada dude or like a Joe Canada dude who's actually like a like Joe Texas dude. It's not really who he is, but he's he's become this character on social media. If you go through some of his stuff uh, at the early days of COVID, uh, as Jen Ag has, who's a friend of mine and, and also a restaurateur, you get a sense of what he thinks, not just of like the health policy regulations or the shutdown, but of COVID itself. This is what he said. Oh, yeah. 0.01% of the population dying is something significant. You're a blubbering brain dead retard. It's actually not 0.01%. That would be 35,000 people or so, 37,000 people. Luckily, you know, fortunately, it's at this point just 12,000 people dead. But even if it were 0.01% and there were like 37,000 Canadians dead, he has a principle, this Adam Skelly guy, and his principle is that's not significant and it's not reason for me to have to close my restaurant. That's who this guy is before we even get to the media circus. You know what I mean? It's, I mean, you said it, right? It, it, 
he is the kind of person who um, infiltrates social media very, very well based on his ideas and his approach to business. And I don't mean that in a good way. I, I think he, he knows the power of social media and, and he was able to use it last week. There are other restaurants that are far more affected than his own. And actually, the restaurants that are most affected are fancier restaurants, not necessarily more expensive restaurants because Adamson is expensive. But if you are dependent on like table service and wine, uh, you know, those are the restaurants that are getting wiped out totally. But also there's just like hundreds or thousands of small joints that are going out of business. Here's what he had to say on his Instagram. Enough is enough. We're opening for anybody who's a fan of freedom and sovereignty, the right to choose what you wear, where to go, who to have over at your house, what businesses you can go to. I'd love to meet you tomorrow. I'll be there at the door in Etobicoke at 11. So you, you hear him there kind of setting up this event and telling people that like, we're going to be there. And that, and like, he's telling the cops that he's telling the media that, and he's telling Adamson barbecue fans, as he calls them that and the circus showed up as as he wanted it to honestly we've given him way too much airtime already <laughs> um we've given him way too much airtime in mainstream media and now we've just spent the last five minutes also telling your listeners who he is what he's about and, and so forth i honestly could not care less and here's why i live in mississauga mm -hmm. which for listeners who don't know where that is it is a 20 minute drive from toronto it is canada's sixth largest city it is one of the most diversely populated cities in the country minutes away from brampton which a lot of people have seen in the news which is also one of canada's largest cities and also extremely diverse i am surrounded by restaurants that are run by small business owners who are largely uh, from the immigrant and, and newcomer population. My favorite restaurants, which serve halal barbecue, are, are closed and they are doing takeout or they are using Uber Eats. They are using DoorDash. They are complying with public health guidelines. If they are not complying with public health guidelines, they are fined. Sometimes there's a report in the media about it. Sometimes there is not. Many have unfortunately been forced to shut down forever. You are not hearing about these restaurants. Why? I can only speculate, but my personal opinion and the reason why you're not hearing about it is because they do not know how to harness the power of social media in the way that this Adamson barbecue dude was able to. And also, they are not white. I'm sorry, but it had to be said. If Adamson barbecue guy was anything other than who he is, you know, a, a very privileged white dude who knows technology, who has a safety net, who is in a suburb of Toronto that is surrounded by like-minded folks, I don't think the story would have been treated in the same way. If anything, they would have been vilified even more. I am completely baffled, to be honest, about why CP24 had like live footage of the Adamson Barbecue rally playing on its screen for days. This was round the clock coverage, certainly by local news, like, you know, cable news channel CP24. They were on this like as if it was like uh, the OJ trial. 680 News on the scene. Joe Warmington. He actually recorded a video of Adam Skilly complaining 
about the damn media. The first ones on site today were Virgin Radio, uh, CBC, CP24. I asked them all to please go across the street and not to bother our customers. They actually spent about 15 minutes arguing and blocking the entrance to the to the place here. I asked them I asked them nicely to leave and they wouldn't. So they're across the street now, and I'm very happy to have the Toronto Sun in here, who's been doing some very unbiased reporting from. Uh, and it's not merely your speculation that it would be covered differently. If we had a similar congregation in Mississauga, in Brampton, of people defying the laws and getting together, whether it's about standing up for a principle or merely ignoring and flouting the laws because of people's traditions or to keep their businesses going, I'm not so sure that that would be ignored by the media. I just think it might get a different media response. I agree. I think it would get, and I think it did. We saw like a weekend before the Adamson Barbecue situation started, we saw folks in Brampton celebrating Diwali who were vilified. For, for allegedly breaking the rules. And, and people had to come to their defense because, yes, they were going to gurdwaras and temples, but they were lining up social distancing. They were going in one at a time. They were hand sanitizing. They were all wearing masks. All the protocols were being followed. But the fact that the lineup was so long or, or the fact that the crowd was so big um, immediately led to vilification in, in headlines and, and media reports and, and social media altogether. Uh, the Adamson Barbecue guy got a much nicer treatment. And and, and the thing that, that worries me about it is that nowhere did media reports just realize that what the consequences of, of doing this would be airing that situation gave you know way for other places to open up putting at risk who knows how many people i personally heard of like a couple of local gyms in in, in toronto who opened up because of the situation and a couple of other food places we're in december 2020 we are now eight months into what a pandemic ridden world we know how we're meant to act we all hate it and no one is 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 saying that small businesses aren't suffering in this and no one is not recognizing it the point is is that media has a responsibility to the public and airing this was not satisfying that responsibility, quite frankly. We need to know what happened, why it was wrong. We need to investigate why the police didn't act as quickly as it is. We probably need to hold, you know, the Ontario government responsible for some of the remarks that came out of Queen's Park about it. I, I can't get angry at any business person. They're hurting right now. The story isn't Adamson Barbecue. The story is the subversion of public health guidelines and what was or wasn't done to follow them and enforce them. I think at this point, the story is also where you've taken it. What is it about this guy and what are the different standards here? Fatima, the idea of not wanting to fuel this guy's moment, his 15 minutes and extend it, is also why we haven't really fucked with him uh, until now. That horse has left the stable. You know, whatever you know, attention we're giving him now pales in comparison to the fact that he was the star of the news media, not just here in Toronto, but I think uh, you, you would hear his name across the country day after day. $300,000 has been raised for him for a business that was never actually in danger. And you want to know who is like a working person who's affected by his actions, like the people who catch COVID and end up in uh, emergency rooms, they are going to be cared for and their lives are going to be preserved by working people. So what is the principle that this guy, like he's been very clear about his principle. His principle is that it's okay for more people to die in order for restaurants like his uh, to be open. The lie of this is that it's about class. And the reality of it is, is that it's it's got a lot to do with race. People are 
sentimental losers if you show them a picture of a of a working white man and his baby and and he's just trying to feed his baby let, let him go to work let this white man go to his business his god-given right to open up his business and feed his baby this is a question of freedom freedom narrowly defined freedom for someone who i don't think has has experienced anything but freedom it's maudlin it's soporific it's mascara rolling down the cheeks and it's bullshit it's not rooted in reality he's not at a coal mine struggling against the man for the right to put food in his kid's mouth that's just not what's happening with this guy the entire problem with media coverage so often in times of crisis is that we go to the people that cry the loudest we don't go to the people who are actually hurting sometimes because we don't know where they are, because they don't know how to, you know, share their stories. To that end, I would recommend people follow Suresh Das, who is, and I apologize if I'm going to pronounce their names wrong. Suresh Das is a Toronto-based food writer um, for the CBC. He writes about restaurants of all communities and has been tweeting a lot about what they're facing during the pandemic. The other one is Karen Liu, L-I-U, who's a Toronto Star food reporter who has been doing the same thing. Karen, when, when Adamson Barbecue happened, said that food is always political. But I think we need to go one step further as a media. I think we need to stop finding that one thing that captures an entire story. I think the world is a lot more complicated than Adamson Barbecue. For God's sake, let's 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 write about that. Let's show people exactly what's happening in the Canadian small business community, and and not let Adamson Barbecue become the be all and end all of it. Fatima, it wasn't even that good. <laughs> if you want to meet some of those other people who are being affected, uh, Suresh Das did a wonderful report for us, and it's called "Food Will Find a Way." And if you Google that, you'll, you can meet some of those people and and hear about some really, in- I think, far more interesting impacts of uh, the pandemic on the food industry. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode of CanadaLand is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We got a tour of their facilities in their downtown Toronto campus, and I was blown away by the heroic work that these people are doing. They are saving lives every day. I know people whose lives were saved, and they just really care about the dignity of the people who turn to them for help. Look, we talk a lot about these issues on Canada Land. We talk about the crisis that is claiming 20 lives every day in Canada to drug overdoses, but we don't give you a lot of options of what you can do about it. CAMH 
is an option. CAMH desperately needs resources that they directly put into their work saving lives and turning people's lives around. Listen, May 6th to 12th is Mental Health Week. This is when they need your help the most. Go to camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Fatima, you are an old hand at shortcuts. We duly note that which must be duly noted, lest it be overlooked. What have you for us today? Look, newsletters have been amazing this year, and I thought I could highlight three that have been my favorite this year because I don't know when I'll be back on shortcuts. <laughs> but, um, Soon, so, I hope. Uh, but, uh, but, but yeah, what are, what are the newsletters? So the Globe and Mail's Amplify is amazing. It has covered women's issues uh, during the pandemic so powerfully and so well, and a lot of them have really stayed with me um, from issues of childcare to just, you know, how to deal with parents, um, how to be a working mother. It is one of my favorite newsletters of all time. So please subscribe to that. There's a new one called The Supplement. I don't know if folks have heard about this, but this is, according to their website, a newsletter that fills in the gaps of your other news intake. It was started by three young journalists on the East and West Coast, respectively. Their names are, and again, sorry for butchering them if I do, Sierra, Ben, um, Samantha, Makabe, and Alex Nugan. Um this is a really simple newsletter where people just send in questions of things they want to understand about the world around them that they aren't seeing much coverage about. And these ladies break it down for them. So they've covered issues from like the LNG pipeline to the NSARS movement in Nigeria to the Nova Scotia fishing tensions. It's very quick to read, very comprehensive, and just really easy to understand. The last newsletter is one that just started this week. It is by one of my favorite freelance journalists uh, in this country, Omar Mualem. He is based in Edmonton, is won multiple awards, a great writer. He started a newsletter called At Large. It's an advice column for freelance writers and journalists. Again, similar sort of format to the supplement where people just send him questions of things they're struggling with when it comes to freelancing, and he gives them their advice. The first one came out uh, yesterday, and I really liked it. And I just like the idea of having an advice columnist for for freelance writers because we need all the help we can get sometimes in, in a community. So those are my three shout outs. They're all Canadian. They're all awesome. Please sign up. Duly noted. I'm going to duly note a story that we published. Uh, a reporter, Shannon Curry, um, uncovered something that, I don't know, maybe it happens all the time, but we got the proof of it. And it's pretty concerning if you care about this sort of thing. It is a document that reveals a deal between UBC and Post Media's papers in Vancouver. They own both the uh, the Sun and the Province, the two the two Vancouver dailies, and it is a deal that describes in very fine detail how, as a sweetener for a ten to fifteen thousand dollar ad buy, the University of British Columbia is going to buy ten to fifteen thousand dollars of newspaper ads, and. Post Media is going to throw in a bunch of articles. They're going to throw in uh, a bunch of op-eds and news coverage. And we then went and we matched it up and we looked for the time period that's discussed because it actually lists in this document, here are the editorials that we want you to run. Here's when we want you to run them. And it links up with a whole bunch of op-eds that ran in the Sun and the Province and across the Post Media Network. And there's news coverage in these papers 
about UBC and about, you know, virtual online education and the virtues of why it's good to learn from home, it's all innocuous stuff. It's all like UBC is like shitting bricks that um, what are we, you know, communicating to the public about back to school season during the pandemic. And in the document, it, it says, you know, we're afraid that a traditional ad buy will be seen as, as not genuine. And so here we're going to get all of this editorial. It's one thing if it's like, okay, you know, Santo Ono, you know, uh, president of UBC has an op-ed. He could probably get one anyhow, and you know it's from him. So there's no, like, but the fact that it was paid for is not disclosed. Even so, you know that it's coming from UBC. But when you get to the news reports to learn that that was purchased in an ad deal, I mean, I, I don't know what we say about this. Harold Monroe, the editor-in-chief of those papers, he didn't respond to us. We gave him tons of time. And uh, after we publish and it gets picked up in, in, in BC media, he's denying it, but there's no explanation given for this document. I, it seems pretty conclusive that this deal did go through. I don't know. There's just so many ways of looking at this. It's 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 uh, from like a union point of view. Was the reporter assigned to this story? Did she know that she was being asked to report a story that an advertiser had paid for? Uh, you know, what does the union have to say about that? What 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 is you know? Post media sometimes does run content and it marks it as advertorial or sponsored content. What are their policies around this stuff? For all we know, this happens as a sweetener with like, you know, half the ads they sell and they have not cleared that up. They won't respond to us and, and tell us what is their policy when it comes to selling news coverage to advertisers. Duly noted, for sure. That seems both interesting and problematic. Go check it out on the website. Fatima, we've been having a good time so far. I'm going to I'm going to bring things down a little bit with a pretty fucked up story. Former colleague, Supriya Devetti, used to be a host of our show Commons, a wonderful voice, incredibly smart person, went on to be a co-host of uh, the AM640 morning show over at uh, Global News Chorus Radio after her stint here. And she did that job for years. Well, Vice News, Manisha Krishnan has just reported that Supriya resigned in October Six weeks after a listener sent her a message that referenced her one-year-old daughter, and here I will have a content warning. This topic is going to deal with disturbing rape threats, death threats, uh, sexual violence, and, and all kinds of awful things that Supriya had to withstand. A listener sent her a message referencing, uh, you know, I, she had to read it, so everyone's going to have to hear this. I'm sorry. Quote, this is what a listener sent her. Instead of all the hating on white men, you pompous little cunt, maybe you should be protecting your daughter against BLM thugs who will eventually rape your daughter. And that was not an outlier with the type of shit she had to deal with as a radio host on a conservative-leaning talk radio station. And I want to talk about not just something we've discussed before and, and should keep talking about, which is the disproportionate abuse that women get and that racialized women get in particular in media. There's like this, uh, you should have a thick skin that comes with the territory of media, specifically with talk radio that comes with the territory. As Matt Gurney, who was her co-host, pointed out, it ain't equal. What I have to deal with online is not, Fatima, what you have to deal with for what you write online. That's one major point here. But it would be reductive to say that Supriya just left because of that. She also left because the station was not only tolerating, in her view, that kind of response and failing to do everything they could to help her with that type of response. They can't control what listeners say, but they could support her. 
but it's much worse than that because AM640, the other hosts were perpetuating the type of racist philosophies and ideas that lead to comments like that. And this is a station that used to have for 15 years, Sue Ann Levy, who has spread Islamophobic racist conspiracy theories, Lou Skizas, along with Sue Ann Levy, you know, they're, they're trying, they fired those two. In 2018, Lou Skizas, he was talking on the air about how the kids in, in Trump's cages were actors, how it wasn't real. And how the photograph of that boy, Ellen Curdy, washed up on the beach was staged. It goes on and on. In July 2019, Supriya's other co-host, this is after Matt Gurney left, Mike Stafford. This is what her co-host, a friend of hers, this is what he tweeted. Great. Another headscarf at the hospital's triage. May I say to 2019 Mississauga, can you keep your entire fucking family home from hospital emergency when Uncle Apu sprains an ankle? So Supriya is working in a place where, like, they're telling her that they want to have a more diverse on-air uh, representation. She's the only, I think, person of color, certainly the only woman of color. I, I think everybody else left there is white now that she's gone. They're, they're, no, no, we want you to come on. Politically, you're different than everybody else here and our listener, but we want to evolve there too. We want to have less angry making radio, more thoughtful radio. And we're really sorry about what some listeners say. But then while she's getting that kind of messaging that they support her, they're platforming and broadcasting other hosts who say shit like that. So back in October, she hands in her resignation and there's a legal battle. She's filed a human rights complaint. Her lawyer has requested a financial settlement and their lawyer, Howard Levitt, that name ring a bell, Fatima? Yeah, he wrote a column recently. He did write a column recently about how workers are stealing from companies when they work at home. Howard Levitt wrote, if Supriya wishes to leave her role because she finds views different than hers to be antithetical to her continued employment, or she cannot tolerate the trolls of social media, then she does not belong in talk radio, as practiced in North America. I imagine you have some thoughts about this story. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try and, and get through this without my voice breaking. I cannot imagine receiving that piece of hate mail. And I have received a lot of hate mail and I know countless other people who have received a lot of hate mail. And I cannot imagine receiving that hate mail and then getting no support from your managers and your editors and your colleagues. That is my worst nightmare. I think mm -hmm. that is every journalist of color's worst nightmare. You know, I was... 23 when I got my first piece of hate mail at 25 I got my first death threat at 26 people told me uh, they wanted to rape me or kill me I can't imagine having that attack transferring from you to your baby it is completely unacceptable for people to think that it's okay to attack someone's children even if it's just verbally uh, in the void that is that is, that is, I, I don't even have words. I, I, and, and frankly, I'm, I think I'm out of words because I've said them all, you know, mm -hmm. I've been, I've been talking about hate mail and, and diversity since I was in journalism school. 
six years ago. When I got my first piece of hate mail, I was a student and the institution didn't have my back. Heck, we barely even talked about diversity or hate mail or what to do when you got a piece of hate mail. Like, what is the procedure? How do you deal with something like that? That's not taught in classrooms. I, I don't think it still is. And and since then, I think I've said it so many times that, you know, things have to change. Journalists of color need support. They need an environment they can trust. They need people to go to when things get really bad. They need backing. And frankly, newsrooms need to take a better stand against readers when they do things like this. And yet it just keeps happening again and again and again. And we say the same things every time. We say we'll do better. We say, well, we can't do anything. There's literally nothing we can do. Bullshit. If there was nothing we could do, then every single journalist of color in the Canadian media industry wouldn't be trying to get newsrooms to change. I, I love Supriya. I was on my first Power in Politics panel with her. She was nothing but kind to me. She has been nothing but kind to me. She is a shiro, and I am I'm I'm saddened that she had to leave. That the only course of action she thought was to leave. And that because of this piece of hate mail and because of the lack of supports from management, she had no other choice. That hurts the industry. That hurts the institution of journalism. That just, you know, decreases the quality of work that we're putting out to Canadians. We're in the winter after a summer of reckoning that left every newsroom, especially global news, realizing that this was their problem. I think they did realize that and trying to do something about it. And I think what is being realized here is that it's not so easy. It's a deep-seated problem, and this is what, why we talk about structural and systemic problems. You can't just hire someone like Supriya and put her on posters and put her on the air in an institution where you have spent years cultivating an audience with certain types of materials and everybody else on the network is feeding into that. And frankly, while the listeners may say things in much harsher and more violent tones than the hosts, they're all ideologically consistent. In Supriya's claim, she, she, she believes the volume of vitriol that she received was exacerbated by Chorus's refusal to mitigate misleading content on the air. So yes, it's about standing up to your own audience, your own customers. But even before you get to this, like, level of dealing with the audience. Like what about the, the hosts that you're putting on the air and what they're saying? They're at this place now where if their business model itself relies on getting people angry about issues that dovetail so neatly with racism, does their commitment to changing things go to the extent that they're willing to address that? So there's a couple of points that I disagree with you on. The first is this isn't the winter after the summer of reckoning. This has been years in the making. And if we limit it to 2020, we are ignoring the fact that in 2016, I spoke to Ashanti Infantry, who was a Black journalist at Toronto Star at the time, who, when I asked her what kind of response readers sent her, brought me a box 
in a Starbucks full of clippings that people have written probably the worst things I've ever read in my life. Everything from, you know, you are filth and Canada needs to be cleaned up to remove people like you to way worse things. If we just limited the reckoning to 2020, we are forgetting that, you know, the battles that journalists of color have been fighting at literally every news outlet in the country. I cannot think of one that is exempt from from these challenges. Secondly, I think Supriya would be okay with me saying this. This is way bigger than Supriya and global news. This is about the fact that a journalist, a reputable, amazing, incredible journalist, was sick and tired of management failing her time and time again. And as opposed to the years of silent endurance that journalists of color have you know, done and tried to make things work internally, tried to stay at their job because it was better to be in the newsroom than leave the newsroom because, God, at least there'd be one journalist of color there to report on the issues that people weren't covering. It's a breaking point, right? There is a bottom line and we have hit it. Oh my God, have we hit it with this. And Supriya, instead of dealing with management internally, has taken it public because, Jesse, when is enough, if not at this instance, when someone attacked her baby? We keep searching for the bottom line and we have hit hundreds of them. You can't change things if you don't even have the information. And it was uh, four years ago that Vicky Machama for Canada Land sent a survey to 18 of the largest newspapers in Canada, merely collecting information, attempting to, on diversity in the newsroom. Three of those 18 newspapers would even tell her what the diversity makeup of their team was. I know that you are trying to come back at that four years later and see if anything's changed there. Can you talk about that a little bit? So I am a member of the Canadian Association of Journalists. We're a national association. And and I want to be clear about this. We are not a union. We are are not management. We represent journalists in Canada. And and we want to, you know, help them where we can. So we launched uh, just last week a national survey to collect statistics on media diversity in Canadian journalism. That's it. It's as simple as that. We want to know how many journalists of color there are, how many indigenous journalists there are, how many, you know, South Asian journalists there are, and and, and so forth. The fact of the matter is that, as you said, you cannot solve a problem if you don't know exactly what it looks like. And, And journalists are, we deal in facts, we deal in data and statistics. This is our bread and butter. And yet we don't have that for ourselves. The survey is completely voluntary. However, in order to encourage news organizations to participate, we've made it really simple, straightforward, and easy to complete. We're only asking for information that most organizations already collect when they hire someone. The objective is is just to get a sense of what it looks like because so much has happened this year and in years prior. And we know organizations have taken steps to ensure the diversity, equity, and inclusion is a priority. But we can't help each other if we don't know how much help is needed. The survey isn't 
intended to be prescriptive at all. It's literally intended to be a first step in the wider conversation we still keep avoiding about the diversity of Canadian newsrooms. The difference here, you mentioned the Canada Land Survey. You know, we quote Vicky in the preamble to our survey. She did incredible work. The difference here is that we are also, you know, we're taking a multi-pronged approach. We have sent the survey literally to over 300 newsrooms across the country, including Canada Land, by the way. Um, and uh, it includes uh, CBC, Globe and Mail, uh, Torstar, like all the big ones, as well as like many, many small ones like The Walrus or Black Press Media. We've already received eight responses. Um, so that's our first prong. The second prong is that we're creating awareness about this. We're putting this on socials. We're talking to journalists about it. We're, we're trying to tell them what we're trying to do and, and hopefully get some buy-in and, and some interest so that, you know, they understand that this is something that needs to be solved. And, and the third thing is, you know, we're consulting with stakeholders. We have partners, uh, new Canadian media is sending it to its members, the F. PJQ, which is the association in Quebec, is sending it to its partners. We are working as collaboratively as possible to make this happen. And we're also giving people time. We've given everyone four months, so until April, and we're available to help. This is not something newsrooms have to do in silo. We're here to help. It's going to be extremely uncomfortable. It takes a long time, and and we're hoping this is a start. The idea that newsrooms would withhold that data, would refuse to reveal it, is contrary to what we do and who we are. So everybody who received this thing should fill it out, will be filling it out. And the exercise of filling it out, I think we could get something from that too. And taking a moment to think about this stuff and and assess things, uh, we need more of those moments. So a lot of reporters listening to this, make sure that your superior knows about this. A lot of people who run news organizations uh, might be listening to this. Fill out the fucking thing. Yeah. And we've already received eight responses. Black Press Media, Morrisburg Leader, The Voice of Pelham, The Millbrook Times, Standard Freeholder, Wakao Recorder. These are small publications, but they filled them out. And and we just need um, more people to get on board. And, and like I said, things are changing. You know, as much as, as I am constantly disappointed by instances like what happened to Supriya, we've also seen a lot of you know, journalists of color be appointed this year and be hired this year. You know, my friend and yours, Jaron Kerr, is at the Globe and Mail. Mm-hmm. Um, Global News BC just hired its first um, Sikh newsroom manager. CBC Manitoba hired an Asian a journalist of color. Toronto Star made a couple of moves. Things are changing slowly but surely. And I hope that picks up speed. And I hope this uh, survey just, you know, gives a pathway forward to more rapid change. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything. Our Twitter account is at Canada Land. Fatima, where can people find you? I'm also on Twitter. It's Fatima B. Syed, S-Y-E-D. And uh, you'll find my email there too if you want to get in touch. Be nice. <laughs> Our website is canadaland.com. This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb with additional production by Kevin Sexton. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. Our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is by CFUV, 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us.
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.